how is the world impacted by Christianity and by the church? We're talking about, and we've been talking about influences, that we need to be influenced by Jesus on a regular basis, that there's influence in discipleship making, right? Um, And then there's this question of how are we influencing the world? And I want to start this conversation today. Sometimes we don't realize the power that the church has. I think too many times we place the power in like the, the experience of a Sunday service when God's power shows up and people get healed, for example, uh, and, uh, or, or other things where there's great revelation. But the church is influential in a lot of ways. And I want to name a few. So for example, Christianity or church gives, gave us hospitals. Birth out of the church. The Christianity or the church is the most powerful force in charity work. The church gave us adoption and foster care. The church was the foundational piece for America, Christianity, scripture. Christianity and the church gave us a higher view of sexuality and marriage. It gave women greater dignity and freedom and also gave children a higher status of importance. Christianity is the most powerful force in abolishing slavery. It gave us history in its most significant artwork, artists, as well as most of the excellent music and musicians came from the church. Christianity Church gave us history in its most excellent works in literature. It also created a foundation for education system and a driving force for science. And that's just a small list of things that the church has influenced, how the church has influenced society. The influence of the church and of Christianity is is massive. Almost every aspect of our Western context finds its roots and foundational development in Christianity. I know when you look at now, people have taken advantage of that and began to use that to abuse their power and trying to run away from the foundation. But you can never run away from what you were founded on. You can rebel against it, but it's always going to be there. The late Timothy Keller said this, if you want to live intelligently in the world, then you need to know something about this man, Jesus. You need to know something about this man, Jesus. We tend to not think as highly of the church as we should. Like we are apologetic about going to church or inviting people to come with us. It's like, it's like, a, like a nuisance where we hesitate sometimes. It's like we forgot that Jesus had to die in order to establish the church and is coming back for her. A promise that he made. Almost all the letters are addressed to the church as a whole, not to individual Christians. That's pretty profound because in America, we have individualized Christianity to such an extent that there is a breed of isolated Lone Ranger solo Christians that are roaming the grounds of America. And in addition to that, though, even though the church has accomplished many things, it seems like that the church of today has retreated into a comfort and safety. 
We have insulated and isolated ourselves as a church from the world so that the world would not corrupt us, right? But who has given us permission to remove ourselves from the world? When we remove ourselves from the world, we are forfeiting the opportunities that God gives us to display his power and his glory. But we don't realize that because we, we, we have stepped into this place of preservation. Just no one touch us. We're just gonna be fragile. John wrote, Jesus, uh, John wrote um, Jesus's warnings about this very thing and it's found in his prayer. John chapter 17, when we talk about the prayer and that we should pray, most of the time we go to the Lord's prayer. But did you know that Jesus actually prayed a prayer for you and for me? And it's found in John 17 and it's profound and it's deep. And in verse 11, the first part I wanna read, it says, now I am departing, I'm departing from the world and they are staying in the world. He's talking about his disciples. He goes, I'm departing from the world, but they will remain. In John 17, verses 15 and 16, he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Think about it. Jesus specifically saying, I'm not asking you to take them out, but to keep them safe from the evil one. And in verse 16, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. He makes this distinction that we are in the world, but not of the world that we don't belong to the world, we belong to him, but we remain in the world. This is why God doesn't kill us after he saves us. Sometimes we want him. Sometimes we want everything to end, not because we're finished, but because we're wanting to quit. But Jesus is specific saying, no, they will remain in the world, but I'm gonna pray that you keep them from the enemy, from the evil one. And that's such a powerful prayer because if anyone prays a prayer, surely God will hear him. Like Jesus is the one's asking, right? If I prayed for that over you, you'd be like, well, it depends. Maybe God won't hear him. But the son prays for that. That's a pretty guarantee that God is already gone before you and me. He knows what position we're in. He knows what we need. And he is beginning to pray for us in advance. If we are in the world, how are we supposed to then influence the world? Because that's what it is. He brought us into the world. Then how do we influence the world without isolating ourselves, without getting into the preservation kind of a mode? What do we do? And we all have ideas and there are things that we have done. And I just want to list a few. What the church can and you and I can, what feed the hungry, right? We can influence the world by feeding the hungry, by serving those that are less fortunate than us. Right? We can take care of the needs of people around us and those that are in the world. We can, we can prove to them that Jesus is God and influence them by saying, hey, let me just prove to you that Jesus is God. Have the conversation with them. Maybe we can prove that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah and take him through scripture, right? Pointing out all the prophecies that were pointing to Jesus being the Messiah. Maybe... We influence the world by having a ton of miracles and signs and wonders and healings. And people then will show up. Maybe it's telling people how bad they are, how sinful they are. Right? Maybe presenting the gospel to them is how we impact them, how we influence them. 
Maybe just being successful. Maybe you're like, man, God bless my business. And because you bless my business and I'm successful, I'll be able to influence the world for, for, for you. You know, hashtag blessed, right? And all those things are great, but what if Jesus revealed how the world would know about him? All those things are good in its place, but what if there's a priority that, that Jesus actually said, this is how the world will know? so that we don't have to guess. He did, but I'm not gonna tell you where it is because I want you to read the Bible and find it. That's your homework for this week. But if you had to find it, would you look? Would you search out the scriptures to get direction of how the church is supposed to influence the world? What is the church supposed to do where the world would notice? The beautiful thing that it's found in this prayer that Jesus prays in John 17. In verse 20, it says, John writes this. This is, just, this is Jesus' prayer. He says, I am praying, John 17, verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples. So he's transitioning from praying for those disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me. If Jesus was thinking about you and I, do you think that he's thinking about our neighbor that we're gonna invite, that we're gonna influence? Do you think he's thinking about your lost loved ones that you're praying for, that you're contending for? Sometimes we think that we're, that we're going ahead of God because it's on our minds, not realizing that this was on Jesus' mind before you and I were even born. I think it's a powerful foundation. Verse 21, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you, uh, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. There was his answer. If you're looking for something super spiritual, you missed it. He's saying, Father, in the tail end of verse 21, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Earlier he says that I pray that they will be as one. What is the reference point? How I am in you, you are in me. Let them be united in us. And if they are united in me, then the world will notice. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me. Wow. We're gonna get to that in a second. So that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I am in them, you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. He just blows the gates right open. You want people to notice you? Unity. Unity is going to shake the world to pay attention. So how do we influence the world? Through unity. Now, 
there are a lot of ideas what unity is and what unity isn't. And I want to just unpack that shortly this morning because I know we're already at 12 o'clock. So I'm going to bump out Rusty's message for next week and continue. (laughs) Thank you. I'm doing this publicly so there is no animosity towards me. So I just want to share a little bit on unity. We are not creating unity. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, all right, go and create unity. We are participating in the unity that Jesus established. So from the get-go, this is not just, hey, let's show up and, and unite. No, we have to understand what is the unity that Jesus is talking about. And when we become united with him, then our responsibility is to preserve what he has established, what he has united Unity is the result of a shared goal or a shared objective. Unity is not a feeling, but is both spiritual and practical. Unity is the result of mission. Have you ever thought about what kind of reward that you and I will receive? Because when we we try to serve God, we're trying to be like, okay, God, I'm going to be on mission for you. I want to serve you so that I can get a reward. Like, what are you going to give me? How are you going to, you know, up my pay? You're going to give me a better job. But we have to think, think differently because if Jesus is inviting us to serve, then serving God becomes our reward. It's not a stepping stone to something greater. It is the greatest to serve. That is our reward because we're serving God. God has invited us to do something, to be a part of his mission. The fact that he's invited you and me to be part of his mission is our reward because he didn't have to invite us. He could have let us do our own thing. It's an amazing thought that God has something for you and me. God has something for you and me. Earlier in John 17, I want to read this. Verse 3 says, And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So I brought the glory to you here on earth by completing the work you have gave me. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Verse 6, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They are always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I love this because Jesus is talking about completing something. This is not like, we're talking about mission here. We're talking about unity, but there's also a completion. That means God is calling you, and we read that Jesus is saying, I I brought the glory to you here on earth by completing the work you have given me. We sometimes forget that Jesus died at the early age of of 30, 33, somewhere around there, right? We want to live long lives. But what's more important is not how many years you have, but are your years filled with purpose? I mean, the day to look forward to this moment where we can say the same thing, God. You, I have completed what you have assigned me to do. What a glorious day that would be. Paul wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. I did not quit. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearance. What I'm trying to get us to do is to look beyond our own agenda, beyond our own will of what we want to do. And begin to ask the Lord, what does he want us to do? That's a whole different way because you and I have plans, right? We have plans, what we're going to do this week. 
But did we ever ask God if he's gonna allow us to live another week? Like we're so eager to finish our will, but we don't even know if we're gonna live past tomorrow. But even more so, is 2024 promised to you and I? And if God extends our life for 2024, then the question that we need to be asking is, God, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of you extending my life for another year? Let that sink into our hearts. Let it be a prayer. God, I'm praying for an extension of my life. My life is in your hands, but what is the purpose that you have for me this week, this month, this year? Because you and I, we want to finish, not quit. I love the phrase that says that the, most, the two most important days in your life is the day that you are born and the day that you find out why. Like those are such fundamental questions that we don't ask ourselves that often. Like, why am I here? It's like a the, like theoretical, right? Subconscious, like, oh yeah, of course God has purposes. But day to day, we're living out our own purposes, right? We're doing what we want, what's pleasant to us, what we are aware of, what, we're, what we have learned, what we've always done. So even this morning, God, what is your will versus what is our, my will? And if we can identify the two and align with what he wants us to do, that's gonna be a conversation piece with the Lord that you and I need to have on a regular basis. It is so easy to do our own will. Just throw of hands, who's been doing your own will? Raise your hand. I know, I know, I know. Your feet too. If that's our default mode. We assume that this is what God, is, God wants us to do, but the question is, have we asked him? Ephesians chapter four, verses one says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in spirit binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all, in all, living through all. The unity factor is a huge factor to your calling and to my calling. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Jesus. That means that we're not conforming to one another's gifts. We have to identify what has God given me. Not to work outside of the body, but to complement and work with the body. Ephesians 4 verse 3 says this, being, being diligent, listen to this, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we know that Jesus has established the unity, but he's calling us with our differences, with our gifts to come alongside and now to preserve the gift of unity that he has given his body. Romans chapter 15 verses five through six says this, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind 
with one another according to Jesus. So that with one accord, not Honda, just an accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ. Unity is not created by us, but it is obtained from God. Unity came down from above. Jesus established it and has entrusted it for us to preserve. So if this is how the world is going to see that Jesus is alive and he's here, then, the, then Satan's going to come and try to divide. <laughs> now we know that his tactic is exposed. So I want to do a couple of things in unity and we're going to be a, to do a two, to be continued um, thing this morning. One, it's important for us to know what unity is, what unity is, isn't. So the first thing is that unity is based on truth. Okay, unity is based on truth. John chapter 17, verse 11 says this. This is his prayer. Now I am departing from the world. This is Jesus. They are staying in the world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are united. And later on in verse 17 says, make them holy or set apart by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And verse 18, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I have given myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Holy means to be set apart. And what sets us apart is God's truth. It's not living perfect lives. It's not not stumbling. It's understanding that we have been plucked out and set apart from the world. God has divided us from the world. Unity is based on truth, but there needs to be integrity in unity. Otherwise, it's a false and misleading union. There has to be integrity. Martin Luther said that peace, if possible, but truth at all cost. So unity flows out of a faithfulness to the gospel. So we love every single person, but we are not united with every single person. Unity is not the goal. Unity is the result. Right? The goal is to focus on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter. Right? The goal is to preserve his name, to be faithful to him, to understand and commit our lives to the gospel, to understand his mission and your and my role in his mission. And unity then becomes the byproduct of that because his mission is what's gonna unite us. What he is after, we should be after. What he is for, we should be for. What he is against, we need to be against. We're lining our lives up with him. But what does it look like? What does it look like? I love this from A.W. Tozer. And I'm gonna wrap up here because I'm gonna continue this next week. It's just the first part of unity. But I love what A.W. Tozer says in The Pursuit of God, The Human Thirst for the Divine, his book. He says this, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? 
They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must be individually uh, bowed. <laughs> They're bringing it down. They're coming. They're coming. Leo, he got it. We believe in you. Thank you. He's like, you're over, bro. Come on. Give the people rest. So he's basically saying that there is a fork where, based on how, that's what they use to tune pianos. So you don't use the piano to tune another piano. You tune each piano to the fork, the tuning fork, and by default, all the other pianos that are tuned by the fork are tuned and in sync with one another, even though they're different pieces. So he says, 100 worshipers meet, met together, each one looking away to Christ are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be. Were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship? So unity is not uniformity, it's not conformity, it's actually harmony. And we see that Jesus does unity in, in Genesis 2 where he brings the male and the female he makes them one not same but one unites bring them together different yet united so diversity is, is a representation of unity sameness is a delusion oneness is not sameness and sameness is not unity Unity is bringing the differences together under something or someone specific. Okay, so we're not unified under the vision of our church. There is a level of unity there. There's a level of mission there. But overarching, the mission is what is God wanting to do? What is God's mission? And each one of us attach ourselves to his mission. And when we attach ourselves to his mission, we are by default united because he is a priority and everyone else is secondary. And we're not looking one to another, we're looking to him. Our default is him. You hurt me, I talk to him. I misstep, I talk to him. So when God brings his body together, he's not looking for sameness. He's not looking for us to be alike, to look alike, to represent one another. He's looking for us to represent and unite under who he is. And we cannot do that collectively. When we show up, we're either united with him or we're trying to replicate the person next to us. So when you're here in this building and you don't have a relationship with God, you're trying to align yourself to the person that you think is the closest to God to begin to mimic what they're doing. And it doesn't work. It falls flat. So what needs to happen, you and I need to go before God and make God show up in my life. Tell me your, your mission. Tell me my peace to your mission. Chase him, pursue him, spend time with him, talk to him, read his scripture, unite with him, have him be the most united thing, the most united person in your life. And then when you show up with more people who are united, you are united without even trying to unite. And then you become an army that's not unified under temporary missions, but under God's mission. And God wants to save the whole world. So I want to leave us with this thought and this challenge. The question that I asked earlier, if God extends your life by another week, this is a serious question. There was a 12-year-old girl who died last week from the flu. 
I did a funeral a week and a half ago. My father passed away a year and a half ago like that. We have Thomas who's at his brother's funeral this weekend. I think we underestimate the breath that we have. We feel like we're entitled to have another breath. When you realize that you're not entitled, that God gives you the breath, then it makes sense for us to, to say, God, what do you want me to do with my breath? This is the overarching. I know that I'm going to get into some details because there's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of things that we still got to talk through and come out to unity. But at this core, if we all did that, if we all got before God and say, God, I made plans for this week, but I never ran my plans by you. What if you and I run our plans for this week by him and say, God, is this what you have purposed for me this week? Sometimes we think that God just gives us this massive plan, just love me, follow me, and we're like, okay, cool, and then we just go about our own way. But what if God is like, no, I have assigned people that you need to come across with, but you're gonna have to follow me where I lead you, so you may not take that turn, but I need you to take this turn. You may not go to this store because I'm gonna need you to go to that store. You don't want to go to your in-laws, but I'm assigning you and I've appointed a time for you to go to your in-laws because somebody in your in-laws needs to hear something that I'm going to tell you when you get there. Forget your in-laws. Go to Ukraine. Go to Haiti. Now we're talking missions. Go to downtown. Go to Hendersonville. You know? I mean, Haley's here. She's a beautiful example. So I know that happens and I know that we've, we'll hit it with God and, and, and are obedient and are, are sure of what he's calling us to and we even do it. But I don't know if it happens often enough. Like I'll give you an example and I'm gonna wrap up with this. How often we've come to a setting like this on Sunday, complaining and whining and without realizing it that we've made it about us. Um, who's speaking? Oh, I don't know if I like that person's communication skills. Who's singing? Oh, man, they're not maybe as good as Masha. Just a little biased. But if we are so occupied with, with our consumption, we don't ask the Lord, why are you... What's the purpose of me showing up here on this day? And when you're showing up, inviting the Lord to lead you, there are people here that need you to reach out to them, to connect with them, to pray for them. Maybe their answer is found in your obedience. So we have to get off this high horse of, of we're following this person, this mission. I, tell, I told our, my team this morning, I'm like, look guys, this is not what God wants to do. What's happening here is not what God wants to do. But this is what God wants us to do. And just because God is doing something here like this, it doesn't mean he's going to do the same thing in the church next door. 
there's a lot of preferences built into how we worship, how we experience God, how he's manifested in this place, what we lay down, what our goal is, what our plans are, all those things. And this is what allows us to come together and plug in and be rooted in a body that we can live out what God has called us to live out. This is why it's a very important question for you and I to ask ourselves, God, are you connecting me to this place this year? Or are you being led to another place for 2024? It's not where you end up as long as you end up in his will, submitted to the calling he has for you and me. So I do want us to reflect and, and we're out of time, so I'm not gonna have the band come up, but I am gonna just have us like take a minute and just ask us, ask, um, uh, give us some time to ask the Lord this question that I asked in the beginning. And that is God, if you extend my life for another week, what is your will for me for this week? Just sit with that for one minute. What is God's will for your life for this week? follow up with the question of saying, God, what is the purpose of my life if you extend it for the rest of the year? You need to wrestle with this. You need to sit with this, both you and I. asking him if God is beginning to speak to you to you know tell you some things go ahead grab your phone write it down grab a notebook grab an index card begin to write down what is he telling you this is not just a rhetorical question that I'm wanting us to ask this is a question that you have to wait on the Lord to respond to you and for some of us he's going to respond here and now for others we're going to continue to ask and he's going to respond maybe tomorrow or the next day. So I'm going to give another, few, another minute or so for us to sit with this question.